Never let it be said that we are not responsive to listener feedback here on the program. In point of fact, a a listener message, a message sent to Twin Cities News Talk by a listener was so impactful that I changed the entire program for tonight. We're starting off with a completely different topic that I've thrown together in the past 40 minutes just to address an issue of particular concern to a listener. That's how much we care about what you care about. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, streaming and your iHeartRadio app. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. It's great having you with us. You can catch up on past shows by doing a search for Closing Argument in your iHeartRadio app. And our channel will pop right up there for you. You can join us tonight at 651-989-5855. Share your thoughts, share your concerns, ask some questions, get some feedback in. Brad Omlin takes those calls and produces the show. So, you know, we get messages on the station's Facebook page. We get messages on our show's Facebook page, Closing Argument with Walter Hudson, that you can uh, search for and uh, like and set to notify you when we post stuff. That would be fantastic. And, you know, a a lot of it is is stuff that is, it's good to see, it's good to know. You know, we get questions, we get feedback, we get comments. And, you know, every once in a while, you'll, you'll get something along the lines of, with a tone and a tenor, something similar to this. Why aren't you guys covering this story? Why aren't I hearing about X, Y, or Z? This is really important, and I don't hear anybody talking about it. And the post that I, I we're going to talk about here tonight, the story that we're going to talk about tonight, is the result of such a message that we got, where it's, you know, when are we going to hear about this? This is important. I don't hear anybody talking about it. And so, you know, I want to accommodate. I want to, I want to give attention to this issue that has presented itself that is of grave concern to a, a particular segment uh, of our listeners, a particular segment of the conservative population in this state that has a a vocal presence and indeed had a, a candidate running for governor uh, in the Republican endorsement process earlier this year. And that is folks who are particularly fixated on and concerned with the religion of Islam and the presence of Muslims in this state and who are concerned about an event that is taking place next week at the U.S. Bank Stadium called Super Id. Super Id. Now, I'm just going to apologize in advance, particularly to any Muslim listeners who might be speaking or people who just speak Arabic, because I'm probably going to mispronounce a lot of stuff tonight. That's I'm I'm known for that, and uh, when we get into you know foreign pronunciations, they the I I'm not the best at it. So that's my one apology for it. It's the catch-all for all the mispronunciations tonight. But Id Al Adha is the name of a holiday celebration. I I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a Muslim thing. It's a big deal to them, and they're celebrating at U.S. Bank Stadium next Tuesday. And the, the here's the mainstream coverage on this from Fox 9. To celebrate Id al-Adha, the organization Super Id 
hopes to bring together over 50,000 Muslims for a free prayer and celebration at U.S. Bank Stadium Tuesday. The holiday is like, what I read it as is kind of like their version of Thanksgiving. Okay. Because they celebrate, um, what, who was it, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. Right. So they, like, I think they give like a third of a cow to a church. They keep a third of the cow for the family and then they give a third of the cow to like the homeless or something. Okay. From 6 a.m. to noon, Tuesday, August 21st, Super Id will host members of the Minnesota Muslim community for what the organization is calling a festive, family-friendly Id prayer and celebration. The religious gathering is the second of its kind at U.S. Bank Stadium after Pulse, an evangelical Christian movement, hosted a concert event there May 18th. Id al-Adha is a Muslim festival that marks the culmination of the annual pilgrimage to Mecca and commemorates the sacrifice of Abraham, as Brad just pointed out. The Super Id event will feature Id prayer, kids' activities, a bazaar, and food vendors at the stadium. Uh, According to the event's post on Eventbrite, Super Id uh, envisions a community where every Muslim is welcome and able to participate in an exemplary celebration of Id. And uh, they say guests can register to attend and, and what have you. So that's the mainstream coverage. It's happening on, on Tuesday, I guess. And uh, it costs $15 a person to attend is the deal. Now, in the message that we received at the station's Facebook page, alerting us to this, the link that the listener provided was to a, a site called Third Rail Talk. Which, as it turns out, I was I was delighted to discover, is the website of one Bob Carillo. Oh, our favorite man, our old friend Bob C. Who I you know I'll spare you guys the story because it's a little lengthy, but we've we've had uh, interactions with Bob Carillo in the past. I did reach out to him tonight. I you know, and it was like forty minutes ago because, like I say, I threw this whole topic together at the last minute and invited him to call in. So if you're out there listening, Bob, feel free. I'd be I I would love to get your account firsthand, your response to this firsthand rather than uh, risk getting it wrong. Um, but, you know, he's he has a, a piece at his website, which, for whatever reason, I'm having trouble loading right now. It's almost as if it went down. Maybe it, the computer just sees it as spam. Maybe the, maybe the link is wrong. It took know. too long to respond. That means it's just a bad website. At any rate, we can come back after the break. I'll see if I can find this out because I wanted to actually, I wanted to give him the benefit of actually quoting him directly in terms of what his concerns are regarding this event. But basically, it breaks down into, you know, five different concerns coming out of this event where, you know, 50,000 Muslims are expected to come in from apparently from around the country to attend this thing at U.S. Bank Stadium. And the first thing is, you know, the the title, the headline that Bob gave at his site was the secret plan of Muslims to sneak tens of thousands into the U.S. Bank Stadium for a historic show of power in Minnesota. That's the headline. I think he could have a job at Infowars. Now, now here's the thing. The, the secret plan really sucks because it was reported on by the local ABC affiliate we just read you the story from Fox 9 News, and I'm talking about it on a major conservative talk radio station that, that tens of thousands of people listen to. So, really crappy secret plan, if this was your secret plan. Also, sneak tens of thousands of Muslims 
into U.S. Bank Stadium. Like, I, I mean, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but being Muslim in Minnesota is like the least sneaky thing you could you could be, right? I mean, you're gonna get noticed as a Muslim in Minnesota, particularly if you're if you're traditionally garbed, if you happen to be Somali or whatever the case may be. So I I don't know how you sneak tens of thousands of Muslims into anywhere, but yeah, it's interesting this how this is being framed by our friend Bob. And this idea of a show of power. Now, where he gets that from is, you know, there, he's got a whole YouTube video that you can watch on this where he breaks down his concerns. And I watched it. I gave it due consideration, 20-minute-long video. And what, what, he's, what he highlights is he excerpts a, a video that the organizers of this event put together wherein they talk about, you know, talk about the event and they're trying to promote it to their community. And one of the guys says something along the lines of, you know, we're going to we're going to get the community together and we're going to we're going to have a a show of power. That's the he does use that phrase. It's used in the same fashion that I've heard in religious rhetoric my entire life. You very frequently hear when people are talking, when people are talking about trying to rally their religious communities, particularly at a large convention, perhaps like this pulse that just took place involving evangelical Christians. You hear this rhetoric that is, is rousing and is designed to try to convey a sense of unity and to convey a sense of influence in the world. So, you know, you can choose to take that phrase and infer from it the worst possible motives, but it is an inference. The, the mere fact that that phrase was, was used is not a prima facie indication that we're dealing with 50,000 terrorists coming to U.S. Bank Stadium to, I, I don't know, blow it up. Like, I don't know what he thinks the plan is here. But it's it's folks exercising their constitutional right to freely assemble and express their faith to worship. Two things which are very particularly protected by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. And, you know, one of the things we've heard, you know, we, we've going back to conversations or interactions we've had with Bob and with Philip Parrish when he was running for governor uh, and and folks who shared this concern about the the Muslim community here in the state of Minnesota, one of the primary things that they're concerned about is the undermining of the United States Constitution. They always talk about how our Constitution is going to be undermined by Shi'ar law, our Constitution is going to be undermined by Muslim immigrants, and yet the very cl- what what's called for here by Bob Carrillo at ThirdRailTalk.com is the cancellation of this event based on nothing other than the fact that it's Muslims doing it. So he's calling for the the intervention and rejection and encroachment upon people's right to freely assemble and freely speak and express their faith and worship, all of which is a giant violation of the First Amendment. So who is the real threat to the United States Constitution here? Uh, that's a question that I'm interested in posing. 
And, you know, as far as and another thing that that Bob points out, you know, especially if you watch the video, he, pre- he presents this visually, is the the graphic nature of the way this particular festival or holiday or whatever it is, is celebrated around the globe. And he, he puts up these images of because apparently animal sacrifices involved. You heard uh, Brad talk about how a third of a cow is given to the mosque and a third of the cow is given to the family and a third is given to to the poor or however the breakdown was. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a cow. It can just be an animal. Like, in the story of Abraham, it was originally a goat. Okay. So, the, you see you see images pulled off the internet of animal sacrifices, presumably overseas, where you know, you have a bunch of people gathered around animals being slaughtered, and there's blood everywhere, and it's, it's graphic imagery. And this is presented with... If you watch the video with this fantastic background music that's all doom and gloom, you know, like you're watching a, a Slender Man documentary or something along those lines. And the implication is, isn't this horrible? Isn't this terrible? How could we let this happen in the United States of America? You know, I've never heard of religious iconography referencing blood feasts or animal sacrifice before. Yet it's unheard of. That any religion would reference any of those things, except for literally all of them, literally every single one. There isn't a single religion. You you need to. I mean, maybe maybe some newfangled thing that somebody came up with in the last twenty years that they call religion doesn't involve references to blood feasts or animal sacrifice. Yeah, I I don't know, but, but I'm unaware of it. So <laughs> I don't see how that's particularly strange. Also, Unitarians. Oh yeah, right. Also, there's. There's no indication that I've seen from having looked at the events uh, website or from any of the news reports that there's going to be this type of animal sacrifice taking place in the middle of U.S. Bank Stadium next Tuesday. Now, maybe there will be. Nah, we'll we'll wait till uh, Anthony Barr takes on Aaron Rodgers again. <laughs> I mean, maybe there will be. I don't know. It's, it's possible. But I, I have to imagine that if there is going to be such activity that it is being governed by the same rules and regulations and health codes and what have you that apply to literally everyone else. And if that's not true, if there's some sort of favoritism being given to this group, then that's a story. Uh, if there if there are laws being broken by this group, that's a story. But I've seen nothing to indicate that whatsoever. What this amounts to is concern over the fact that Muslims exist, concern over the fact that they're gathering together, and concern over the fact that they're worshiping in Minnesota, in U.S. Bank Stadium. And the call to to cancel the event is a blatantly unconstitutional call. One of the things that Bob cites is he, he says, you know, this is taxpayer-funded. This is a taxpayer-funded stadium. The taxpayers paid for the building of this stadium. And so, you know, the, the implication being it's your money, so you should call up the authorities and object to your money being used in this manner. Except the fact that the stadium is taxpayer-funded is precisely why we can't discriminate against which religions get to use it, right? Because it's it's a publicly available venue. And therefore, if it was private, then yes, you could kick them out. But by virtue of the fact that it's public and you just let a bunch of Christians have a huge event there, you don't get to now say, well, because you're Muslim, you don't get to come. Now, if you have specific evidence that they're engaged in criminal activity, by all means, bring that to the attention of the authorities, call the FBI, shut the thing down, but none of that has been presented to me. So, 
Bob, if you're out there, 651-989-5855, the rest, you can give me a call, too. Closing argument, my name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. So we now have, officially, Keith Ellison as the Democrat who will be on the ballot this November seeking the office of Attorney General the top law enforcement officer in the state for the Democrats this November. And it's something, isn't it? It's, you know, just even if there wasn't any controversy, even if we, he wasn't facing these allegations from a former girlfriend of physical abuse during their relationship, Keith Ellison onto himself, like as he arrives, the, just the, the package that is Keith Ellison, of his views, his past, his associations, his stances and attitude and what he wants to do to this country, to this state, onto itself is pretty atrocious and would provide all the motivation that Republicans outstate need to make sure that they show up in November to vote against him and vote for Doug Wardlow, who's the Republican uh, candidate who will be on the ballot to oppose him. But then on top of that, you throw in these accusations from his former girlfriend, and it really starts to complicate things. It's putting the squeeze on the Democrats to decide what they're going to prioritize. Are they going to prioritize what they claim to care about, which is believing survivors, believing women, believing claims uh, that that are made against powerful figures, ensuring that there are consequences to wrongdoing, you know, going after the powerful when they step in the line. Do they believe in that or do they believe in maintaining political solidarity in order to accomplish their agenda? And we're getting the answer to that question from the Star Tribune. Top DFL leaders continue to back U.S. Representative Keith Ellison's bid for Minnesota Attorney General on Thursday, but pressure on him mounted as one prominent national women's group called for him to end his campaign following a domestic violence claim by an ex-girlfriend. Ellison has confirmed his relationship with the accuser, but denied her allegation that he tried to pull her off a bed while screaming obscenities. Keith is our nominee. We support him, DFL Chairman Ken Martin said at a news conference Thursday, but he also said that there are questions out there that need to be answered. So, you know, he's trying to have it both ways. Martin said the party's lawyers are looking into the allegations against Ellison and following media reports. Ellison's overwhelming victory in the DFL primary for attorney general on Tuesday night has left him and a party in a dilemma given the allegations from Karen Monahan, which emerged last weekend when her son posted about it on Facebook. The son wrote that he saw a video of the alleged incident, which Monahan later confirmed, but she has declined to release the video and Ellison has said repeatedly that it does not exist. In an interview Thursday with CBS, Monaghan said it was the only incident of physical violence in their relationship. Monaghan also said she met with Ellison the night before he filed for attorney general and that he wanted to know if she was planning to talk publicly about their relationship. Ellison has declined interview requests from the Star Tribune since winning the primary Tuesday night. On Thursday, Ellison refused to talk to a Star Tribune reporter who knocked on the front door of his Minneapolis home. I thought Ellison was all about transparency. Isn't that something he's talked about on a regular basis? Yeah, I don't know, but I think the fact that he met with her before he filed says that there's a there there. It really, truly does, right? Like, why would you be... If, you're, if your relationship was sunshine and rainbows and you parted amicably 
and there was nothing you were concerned about affecting your campaign, why would you be meeting with your ex to be like, hey, by the way, you planning on talking to anybody about uh, the time we spent together? That does not uh, bode well for, for the case Ellison's making. Meanwhile, national scrutiny, scrutiny intensified. The National Organization for Women, known as NOW, a prominent progressive group, called Thursday for Ellison to withdraw from the race, with President Tony Van Pelt saying in a statement, politics doesn't matter, we believe survivors. So, you know, there's the, the two sides. You've got the National Organization for Women that is coming down on the, on their espoused principles, which is that they believe allegations, they believe women who make allegations, which, you know, just as an aside, I, I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with this emerging premise that we're going to believe accusations without any supporting evidence. I understand taking them seriously. I understand investigating them properly. But this idea that what no, we don't, I don't need to hear anything else. An accusation was made. End of story. Guilty. That's a problem. But be that as it may, separate consideration. You do have this split that's taking place amongst the Democrats between those who want to to see some some further investigation done or want to see Ellison drop out, and those who are backing their guy. So that is definitely interesting. You know, I want to. We got some calls here regarding the. Muslim event that's going to be taking place next week on Tuesday at the U.S. Bank Stadium. I want to give you guys as much time as you can, or as I can, for you to flesh out your points. So we're going to go to break a little bit early. We'll come back and we'll talk to uh, uh, Jama in Minneapolis and Mike in Farmington. 651-989-5855, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. appreciate it when callers hold on through the break because you know that's endurance right there to have to sit there <laughs> for for that length of time well and, uh, i think we are the exception to the rule that we take callers right away and don't make them sit on hold for 45 minutes yeah that's probably true i like talking to you guys i like getting input from you it's much better to have a dialogue than a monologue closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 11 fm Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. 651-989-5855 is the number to get on the air. Brad Ullman takes those calls and produces the show. We started off tonight talking about an event that's taking place in uh, Minneapolis at U.S. Bank Stadium next week on Tuesday. uh, That is going to host reportedly up to 50,000 Muslims to celebrate uh, a holiday. I can't remember what the name of it is, I'll pull it up here momentarily. But we do have uh, a couple of callers who want to address this. Jama in Minneapolis, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, uh, Walter. Uh, I'm calling from Minneapolis. I am a six-year U.S. Army veteran, a Somali-American. Uh, I came to the program late, but um, on that, uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium, you betcha, I'm going there. I do have uh, my brother who serves in the U.S. Marines coming mm-hmm. through. And he's coming, him and his family also coming through and celebrating us with Eidul Adha at U.S. Bank Stadium. I am calling in to say appreciate um, how you put it and how you, uh, the way you worded it to um, uh, to defend and 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 and, and speak about. Um, I was unaware for the person to uh, to go ahead and put a YouTube video, uh, basically just doing <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, propagating uh, unto. Uh, 
events taking place, but uh, Eid al-Adha, I'm not here spreading uh, religion, but it just symbolizes um, Ismail and Abraham uh, on, on that sacrifice. And sure. That, that's all it is, and I've done all my life, and uh, through the six years that I served in the U.S. Army, I've always taken a break, and the Army always allows that if we're too far. A chaplain uh, leads that prayer, and uh, I serve my time in the U.S. Army proudly representing my community because of the United States Constitution and what it stands for is the best Constitution out there. Um, I'd like to add and say a lot of us are very, very, uh, uh, very conservative by nature, and that's how we are by family. Mm-hmm. I think there is a major uh, a broken link between the GOP and my community. Um, so I call in, and I'd like to say personally thank you so much. I, I, I really did like how you spoke on behalf of my community, even though I came in on the last part. Well, we will have the podcast up. You can find it by searching for Closing Argument in your iHeartRadio app, and uh, you can catch the the full coverage we had of it. I very much appreciate your service. Thank you for that, and thank you for calling in and giving us the insider perspective. Just real quick before we let you go, can you, and I don't, you know, I don't expect that you're an organizer of the event, so I don't know how uh, can, uh, comprehensively you can answer this, but can do you know what the the activities are going to be at this event or or what type of uh, because you know the reason I ask is one of the things that the guy who put together this video uh, uh-huh. put put out there was the notion that there's going to be like animal sacrifice and things going on. What's now, happening inside these walls? Uh, basically, inside what's happening is going to be strictly prayers, prayers to okay. the Lord, and 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 that will be the only thing. Taking that sacrifice, uh, do not take place at the place of uh, the prayer. Uh, it's a uh, it's something offsite, and I got you. and there's a lot of requirements uh, that it's needed to be able to do the animal sacrifice, and not everybody can do it or have the facility, and there are regulations. I live in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. and, and I, I I don't have what animal, and uh, basically, for about the 21 years that I've lived in the uh, Twin Cities near my family, we've never done it. Now, I guarantee you, uh, 95% or more of the people out there, in my humble opinion, will not be able to do or afford or have the facility right. uh, to maintain the, uh, to follow the strict guidelines from the sure. from uh, the U.S. regulations and mm-hmm. uh, religious uh, steps to do it. It's not just go ahead and I'm going to do animal sacrifice and I'm going well, to do it the, my way. Yeah, the reason why I ask is because the way this was presented on YouTube, it was... That you know, it's the the imagery that comes to mind is there's going to be fifty thousand Muslims in the stands around the field at U.S. Bank Stadium, and like a herd of cattle being slaughtered with blood everywhere in the middle of the stadium, which seemed uh, rather incredible to me. And it's good to hear that that's uh, was definitely a hyperbole or exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, clearly fear fear mongering, uh, and, and from uh, my community, uh, that one person uh, doing it not right, uh, and appreciate. Uh, uh, stating the facts and having me on there. Thank All you right. so much. Have a good night. Let's t- talk to Mike in Farmington. Welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call, Walter. Yep. Uh, you know, the I guess the premise or the basic thing about uh, the going to the stadium and a, I guess if you want a, a religious event or group, uh, personally and myself, I, I don't have any problem with that if they want to have a, blood sacrifice or whatever. In fact, if, if there was a Star Trek 
religion and they wanted a Vulcan religion and people wanted to go, I really don't care. <laughs> okay. But I, I think some things come to mind that maybe cause people concern. Like, and I think some of this is based on fear. When people look around, and if you're a little more advanced in age, you look around and you, you're looking at people that maybe you never saw before. Mm-hmm. They dress a certain way. Right. And you start to wonder about where do your allegiances lie? Because mm-hmm. there's things I've heard about the faith, and mm-hmm. I am by no means an expert, but I've heard things such as Islam is a political system. Right, yes, I've heard that as well. Philip Parrish was, was uh, touted that, as has Bob Carrillo, who was the guy who put together this video. And then, and, and then you hear about Sharia law. Mm-hmm. And then you have images in your mind. I don't know if you remember the effort in Somalia, uh, the book Mark Bowen wrote about went on, the humanitarian effort there, mm-hmm. things that went on. Mm-hmm. And we graciously, I guess you could say, this state, I think the majority of Somali immigrants came to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, and then you see things that go on, like uh, Major Hassan and the uh, killing the soldiers yep. on the base. And Absolutely. Horrible, horrible things take place, and you start to wonder, well, is this real? Is this just a, a radical fringe group? And then you see, when you look at Britain, and I don't know if you know who Lauren Southern is, she literally goes to these different areas, and people see what's happening in Britain and Australia. There's actually an interesting exchange with Lauren Southern mm-hmm. where she cannot... Oh, yeah, 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 with- yeah, yeah. No, I saw that video. She went into a, a um, Muslim-majority neighborhood in Australia, well, and the, po- the police officer... Well, yeah, the police officer told her, you need to get out of here, you can't ask people questions because it's going it, to it's going to offend them and we don't want to deal with that. So, you know, and I've heard people talk about this. Well, yeah. now you have these enclaves. Well, is this really the UK anymore or Australia? Mm-hmm. And and the and I guess one of the questions I've asked and this has been talked about as well is that once it's a majority Muslim community, mm-hmm. I'm wondering how the Christian people are then treated and how their origin their religion is afforded in those countries. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Well, in other countries, it, it's a, a question for them. But here in the United States, I will share your concern, and I will share the concern, and I want to lump you in with with uh, you know Phil Parrish and Bob Grillo. But I'll share the concern about the the subjugation of Christian rights in Muslim majority communities when it actually starts to happen. There, there has I have seen nothing to indicate that a person can't go where they want in this country or that they can't uh, express their faith in this country as a Christian because they're, they're in a Muslim-majority community or anything along those lines. And if we ever do catch wind of that type of story, I will talk about it. I will bring attention to it, and I will decry it. At the, at the same as I'm decrying the efforts in this circumstance to try to shut down Muslims freely assembling and expressing their faith. That's the difference between the United States and the UK and Australia. We have something they don't. We have the benefit of a creed that recognizes the sanctity of individual rights. And we still have, despite the success that the left has had in this culture, and despite the success that they've had politically, we still have a a vivid core 
of this culture, uh, of, of of this the tradition in this country that believes in that and will not tolerate the subjugation of people's uh, exercise, of the, uh, exercise of their religious faith. I appreciate your call as always, Mike. I, I want to talk to to Sam in Plymouth and Eric in Minneapolis uh, when we return. We do got to fit in these breaks, folks. Got to pay the bills. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Lots of engagements on this Muslim event that's taking place in Minneapolis Tuesday, where upwards of, according to reports, 50,000 Muslims are going to be attending at U.S. Bank Stadium to uh, celebrate El Al-Adha, a celebration and prayer service that I guess commemorates the sacrifice that Abraham was willing to make uh, of his son which you can find in the biblical account. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. Let's talk to Eric in Minneapolis, wants to chime in on the Keith Ellison situation. Thanks for holding. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, a couple of things, actually. I started with the topic of the El Halda, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, listening to what you were saying, and I, I, I was in Somalia in 1982 mm-hmm. um, on a... U.S. destroyer called the Oldendorf, and we were told we were the first people there. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the um, what we tied our ship up to was built by the Russians. We weren't the first people there, but we were there with first ship there since the Russians had left. Sure. And it was a decimated country. Um, and if you Muslims are wonderful people, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I always say like if you're in Indonesia, I always compare Muslims to Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have like Sharia law, I, this may not make sense. I'm trying to articulate this, but Sharia law is the law of the land, basically. Um, a good guide. So if there is a festival which calls for a sacrifice and Minneapolis ordinance does not allow for it, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's pretty much kind of the law of the land thing. And if you go to this, it's just like any other festival. You've been to a Scottish festival, an Irish festival, an Italian festival. It's pretty much the same thing, but it's about prayer. And in my opinion, the most irony here, the most unique thing, and I hope I say this correctly, is it's the story of a father giving up a son for his, for his creator, mm-hmm. which is then told hundreds of years later as the Christ story. Right. Where a father gives up the son, it's 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 it kind of is the the point in time that sets up Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, from that from that respect. You know, I'm a, I'm just a I'm a 56 year old man. I raised some kids, I have some grandchildren. You know, I grew up in a middle class family, June and Ward Cleaver, leave it to Beaver. Mm-hmm. And my opinions have changed a lot over the years as I've had the opportunity to work and meet with people. It's funny how that and happens, isn't it? People. Yeah, <laughs> and I just would hope that a guy like Baha, that he comes to the festival, and yeah, uh, yeah, I'll buy him a ticket, well, and, and hopefully and it will soften his heart a little bit. That's you know? the other aspect of this, is that, you know, it's he portrayed it as, again, his headline at his website was, The Secret Plan of Muslims to Sneak Tens of Thousands into the U.S. Bank Stadium. And, you know, look, anybody can go to this. If you got 15 bucks 
Their website's right there. It's not on the dark web. It's an Eventbrite, right? I mean, you can go to this. I've seen nothing on the events website to indicate that non-Muslims will be rejected at the door. So if you're that concerned about it and you want to monitor the goings-on, nobody's going to stop you. You know, as long as you behave yourself and don't break any rules or break any laws, you're going to be just fine. I I would liken it to a wonderful party, a family-friendly party. Appreciate Um, the call, Eric. I, I I do want to get to some well, other I mean, folks. Yeah, go ahead. My time with Keith Ellison. I just oh yeah yeah sure. I'm Sorry about a hard that. Time hearing you. I don't mean to be interrupting. No, that's all right. Um, uh, but my time with Keith Ellison too is, if you're overseas, Muslims, um, the different religions, Islam and whatnot, is called for, and men's attitudes towards women mm-hmm. can be very different than what we're in in America. Right. And I think one of the key things that you want to present especially when you get to District 5 and in the heavily populated Muslim areas, is to ask Muslim women, who now actually have a vote in this setting, sure, right. do they want this type of behavior yeah, right. <laughs> to continue? That's a great question. I appreciate the, the thought. I appreciate you staying on hold long enough to make it. Let's talk to Sam in Plymouth. Welcome to the program. Hey, Walter. Thanks for taking my call. Yep. Um, so I'm not going to stay on too long, but I am a practicing Muslim, mm-hmm. and I'm a Republican. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know some of the organizers of the event. Personally, I'm not going to name them. Sure. At least people who know, who know. Yeah. And I can, I, if, if I could bet, I would bet really good money. There's not going to be an animal sacrifice there. This is... I wouldn't think so. Fake news. Right. Such fake news. Yeah. So, you know... And guys like Bob, um, I'm sure he's a nice guy in real life, mm-hmm. but the more fake news you spread about Muslims in the Republican conservative sphere of things, yeah. the harder my job as a Republican activist or a conservative right. activist right. becomes trying yeah. to spread liberty in my community. So and That's true. That's true. I appreciate your thoughts. Very uh, valid point there, Sam. Let's talk to Dan in Invergrove Heights. Welcome to the program. Hi, Walter. Hi. Hi. I would just be curious, uh, just to compare the paper trail from beginning to end uh, of the uh, RFP, the request for proposal, uh, uh, you know, from whoever submitted this uh, request for proposal to U.S. Bank Stadium for this event, mm-hmm. and, and and also, you know, to compare it to the one for the uh, Christian meeting, mm-hmm. how the paper trail compares, and also how the pricing compares for, you know, for what had to be uh, spent, the money that had to be outlaid for you know, to procure the the U.S. Bank Stadium for this event, uh, you know, and for both events, I should say. But I mean, I don't have the time to do it. But if I did, I actually would do it myself. Sure. But it would be, I think, it would be very interesting just to know who's who, and just to, to know the process from beginning to end. How, you know, who did what and, and how it progressed. You know, from beginning to end. Yeah, you know, a very valid concern. I I would certainly hope that uh, both entities were treated uh, fairly that they were treated equally yeah, uh, yeah, when exactly when all right. when all uh, extenuating circumstances are accounted for you know like one of the groups if if you got a situation where one of the groups is bringing 50,000 and the other one brought 25 then obviously i can understand there being a price difference or mm-hmm. you know other circumstances like yeah. that but as long as it's all to scale then you know i, I get yeah, i take no, your I'm point with you. i'm with you all right appreciate the call let's talk to another dan this one in east bethel welcome to the program Hello, can you hear me? Yep. Oh, okay, great. Um, well, yeah, I just want to talk about Keith Ellison and just some comments that he's made in the past. Like at one time, he had been in support of a uh, an all-black state funded by white reparations. And 
one of the things is like I'm for unity. I'm not for you know dividing people and right. coming together. Right. And the other part is you know the whole reparations thing. I mean, in my in my heritage, like my 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 family fought the free slavers. Part of the Minnesota group that was the first people to volunteer. Right. And uh, you know, and the whole thing about that is when you fought and laid that, and, and there were people lay down their lives for that. Yeah. That came at great cost because the people said we benefited from that. That came at great cost to be able to keep the country together and to rebuild and to allow those people to be free. And then yeah. it's like usually when people, you know, liberate people, it's like those people aren't looking for something to be repaid. And so it's like there was always people who fought against it. Right. And then they always did it, you know, at great cost. But the other part is, and do people even understand that Keith Ellison has been in favor of supporting something like that? Well, that's my question. Yeah, they're, they're, it's a treasure. I appreciate the call, Dan. It's a treasure trove of comments and associations and positions taken by Keith Ellison. If if we can't defeat him in a statewide election, I I, I don't know what future the Republican Party has. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. During the break, got a Facebook message from Bob Carrillo, who's the author of that article that I started talking about at the beginning of the previous hour regarding this event that's taking place at U.S. Bank Stadium next Tuesday, wherein reportedly up to 50,000 Muslims are going to be gathering in order to recognize and celebrate Id al-Adha, which is... Apparently a thing they do that commemorates the sacrifice of Abraham. And, uh, you know, I, as a courtesy, because I was going to be talking about it, I messaged him and let him know, hey, if you're interested in calling in and talking about it, you know, I'm on the air 9 to 11 weeknights. Feel free to call in 651-989-5855. And he just messaged me back complaining about the fact that I messaged him. And calling me a coward and saying that I'm hiding from him because I won't call his phone number and because I won't let him come in here to take over my show and basically turn it into his and a bunch of other demands that he's made. Uh, Look, dude, I got nowhere to hide. I'm right here. I'm right here. 651-989-5855. I, I have to be on the air. The microphone has to be turned on for the entire hour. I can't hide from you. So call me if you want to debate it. You're the one who's hiding. You're the one who's a coward. You're the one who can't actually make an argument. And you want to try to compensate for that with a long-winded diatribe that goes nowhere. Well, we ain't doing this on those terms. If you want to engage with me, engage with me. I will take your call anytime. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Brad Omlin takes your call and produces the show. So let's start off with, you know, there was a, a piece in Market Watch. The headline was, Trump is right, America was built on tariffs. And apparently this is spawning from a, a tweet that the president put out 
wherein he defended his use of tariffs to force other countries to renegotiate what he calls unfair trade deals by claiming that our country was built on tariffs. He tweeted, Our country was built on tariffs, and tariffs are now leading us to great new trade deals, as opposed to the horrible and unfair trade deals that I inherited as your president. Other countries should not be allowed to come in and steal the wealth of our great USA no longer. Now, at MarketWatch, they write, America was a staunchly protectionist country for most of its history before World War II. One of the very first bills new President George Washington signed, for instance, was the Tariff Act of 1789. He inked the bill on July 4th of that year. The Tariff of 1789 was designed to raise money for the new federal government, slash Revolutionary War debt, and protect early-stage American industries from foreign competition. Then, as now, some industries sought protection in Congress from a flood of imports. Most goods entering the U.S. were subjected to a 5% tariff, though in a few cases the rates ranged as high as 50%. It was the first of many tariffs that Congress passed over a century and a half. They generated the vast majority of federal revenue until the U.S. adopted an income tax in 1913. In some years, tariffs funded as much as 95% of the government's annual budget. Tariffs have always been a source of controversy, however, starting with that very first one. Early on, the North preferred higher tariffs to protect infant American industries such as textiles from established English manufacturers. Alexander Hamilton, the nation's first Treasury Secretary, feared the U.S. would remain a weakling unless it built its own industries and became economically independent of the mother country. Over time, the arguments on behalf of protectionism became closely tied to the emerging Republican Party. And they go on to give some more history regarding tariffs. And uh, this was tweeted at me uh, by Steve Carlson, who was, he was a candidate for Senate on the Democratic side who was pro-Trump. I don't recall hearing any news about him on Tuesday night. I, I don't even remember seeing his name on the returns. But he was a candidate. And he's a supporter of Trump, and he's a big fan of tariffs and a big fan of this this economic approach. And this is offered, I guess, as an, an argument from authority, I guess. The idea that the tariffs have been used in the past, therefore that makes them okay. Which, or I guess you would call that an argument from tradition, something that has happened in the past. That's called a logical fallacy. Whether it's an argument from authority or an argument from tradition, because something happened in the past, that doesn't mean it's a good idea. And it's also a little disingenuous to compare the tariffs of the past to the tariffs that are being utilized today, because as noted in this article, and at least they note it, the tariff was the singular revenue funding stream for the federal government at the outset, and that was its primary purpose, was to fund the federal government. And so, and it, and it was also relatively universal that 5% tariff on most imported goods. And so, you know, while there were apparently some targeted higher rate tariffs in order to protect certain industries, which is a bad idea, the overall usage of tariffs was in a very general sense in order to raise revenue. And I'll tell you what, I would rather have that than the current income tax system. I'd be more than happy to move back to that. If, if, if our modern utilization of tariffs was a universal across the board, everything that gets imported to the country, we're going to collect 5% on it and then use that to fund government and then have our budget scaled accordingly. That would be fantastic. I would take that deal in a second, if, especially if we were going to tie it to 
a, a balanced budget that had to fit within the 5% of whatever our revenue collected from imported goods was going to be. That would be a great deal for both for conservatism, a great deal for limited government and what have you. But unfortunately, that's not what is has been proposed. That's not the modus operandi that's being followed here. What's being what's being done is this protectionist implementation of tariffs targeted to have a particular effect on particular industries. And that is only destructive. And it's destructive whether or not Donald Trump is doing it or George Washington was doing it or Abraham Lincoln was doing it. It doesn't matter who the person is and how meritorious their other conduct or arguments is. Economic reality is economic reality. And when you interfere with the price, with the signal that is price, when you interfere with the, the information that's communicated in the number of price, it is only destructive to the economy. You are only keeping your own people from being able to benefit from the highest value produced at the lowest cost. Whether that comes from another country or another state or the next town over or your next door neighbor should not matter. You should want people to have the highest value at the lowest cost. NPR News weighs in or reports on the the first day, the first full day of the gubernatorial campaign here in this state following Tuesday's primaries. Minnesota recalibrated or Minnesota's recalibrated race for governor began Wednesday with the DFL and Republican nominees sizing up one another and the shadow of President Trump that was cast over the race. Newly minted Republican nominee Jeff Johnson didn't exactly come out of the gate swinging at Tim Walls, his DFL opponent for the next 12 weeks. I like Tim. I think people will like Tim. That's what Jeff Johnson said. I think most people will like me, so hopefully it won't turn into a mudslinging contest, said the Hennepin County Commissioner, adding that voters will find enough differences in where each candidate would le- would take the state so that the race shouldn't become personal. I am concerned. I'm concerned that this is... Now, maybe this quote is taken out of context. Maybe this isn't what he started with. Maybe this was a little blurb that they decided to highlight at the top of their story for a particular effect. But taking it at face value that this was the common, this was a quote from Jeff Johnson regarding his his demeanor, his orientation towards the fight that's ahead of him going to November... I'm concerned with starting off with, I like my opponent. He's a good guy. Well, I almost fell asleep while you were reading it. You know what I'm saying? Now, here's, here's, allow me to suggest, allow me to suggest that you can't be a nice guy who's likable and who's deserving of being liked if the policies that you're proposing and pursuing violate people's rights. And that's the truth about Tim Walls. The truth about Tim Walls and the truth about his party is that they are actively engaged in a relentless pursuit to violate people's rights, to keep you from your pursuit of happiness, to keep you from being able to address the achievement gap in education by taking your tax dollars to the place where you're going to get the highest value for the lowest cost, to keep you from making your own decisions about your health care. So, why would you like that person? Why would you say he's a nice guy? Why would you hesitate to sling well-deserved mud in such a person's direction? If this is the direction that this campaign is going to go, where we're talking about you know how much we love each other and how the other side is so nice and how we like him, just 
hang it up right now. Hang it up right now. It's over. If for Republicans to have any chance, look, you've never been handed. Let me just speak directly to the to the, all my Republican friends right now. Anybody who's in a campaign, you know, party officials, activists, all my Republican friends out there. You have been handed a unique and tremendous opportunity to do something amazing in this state. Keith Ellison is on the ballot seeking the top law enforcement position in this state. Keith Ellison, Nation of Islam, Keith Ellison, you know, Louis Farrakhan, Keith Ellison, maybe beats his girlfriend, Keith Ellison. I mean, that that in and of itself is a huge opportunity. You've you've got a, a moment in national politics whereby the left has lost their freaking minds and are openly advocating for violence against the people with whom they disagree. They're trying to shut down speech. There's never been a better moment, a clearer moment, to engage in an aggressive, bold fight against the left. And if Republicans in this state chose that direction... They might have a chance of shaking something up. But if you go with the same old, same old that has, has been has dominated Republican statewide politics for as far as I've been paying attention, as far back as I've been paying attention, where it's where it's this kind of stuff, where it's, oh, you know, eh, we're nice guys and we, we sure do love things being nice and nice people. And when I mean, basically the Amy Klobuchar thing, right? Like the Amy Klobuchar thing works for Amy Klobuchar because she's on the left and he lives in a blue state. All she has to do is show up because she's a Democrat in a blue state. We can't do that. We can't show up and show off our hot dish and expect to get elected in Minnesota. We have to offer something of value. And in order to do that, you're going to have to be provocative. And I I know it's been one day. I hate to judge a campaign based on one day. He's being boring again. But let's not be boring, please. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. 651-989-5855. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, Uh Oh, the behind the scenes drama continues. I just, uh, I'm not even, I'm not even going to bother to to address it with you guys just it's it's amazing to me well okay all right i you know since i started i'm astounded by i've never in my life with the with the one exception of this this individual who i'm engaging with right now uh about the article we talked about last hour never in my life have i encountered a scenario in any capacity because i've been involved in commentary in different fields writing you know radio television I've been involved in political campaigns as a volunteer and what have you. Never in my life have I encountered a situation where a media outlet has contacted a person and offered them exposure on something like a radio show. And the response has been a list of demands such as you, I get to be on for your entire two hours. I get to determine who your guests are going to be. I, well, no, like that's that's never nobody has ever granted that request. I, I actually I should have been this. I should have been this. I granted that request. I granted that request, and we had it all set up earlier this year, 
and then it fell through because the guy in question decided that I, I don't know I, I don't understand what his reasoning was but anyway closing argument my name is Walter Hudson Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 103.5 FM let's get back to it shall we 651-989-5855 so Ron Paul remember that name that used to be a name that meant something in Republican circles. They're actually having uh, an unveiling of his like head portrait uh, in Minneapolis this weekend. So what I saw some stuff on social media to that effect. What's the significance of that? Is this is this like a congressional deal or? It must be um, because it looks like the traditional presidential portrait that somebody would get. Is that something people do for Congress? I I don't know, but. I guess I'm going to go this weekend and find out. Okay. Where's that happening? Uh, an art museum in Northeast. Let me... Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll get the details of it. At any rate, there's an article here on the Washington Times talking about Ron Paul and what has happened to his movement in the Trump era. And, uh, you know, suffice it to say, the, the short version of the story is it ain't there anymore. Right. Like something they estimate, and I don't know how they figured this out, but they estimate somewhere in the area of like 20% of, you know, the people who came into the Republican Party as a result of Ron Paul's two presidential campaigns remain and are still involved in some capacity and everyone else is gone. And the speculation is, or the, the commentary that they have from folks is that um, a, a lot of folks just got sick and tired of um, what they're seeing in terms of the direction the party's going and they're they're not interested in continuing to be a part of it and they've gone they've decided to move on to other things now i've seen this firsthand with friends of mine you know i am i'm certainly not as involved as i used to be there's no doubt about it uh, but i am still involved i'm still plugged in i still you know keep, have an interest in what's taking place within the republican party there are other friends of mine who I used to be active alongside within the Republican Party who have completely written the entire process off. You know, we had Brad earlier this week when we covered the primary election uh, returns who stated that he conscientiously did not vote. I don't care to vote for either one of them enough to, yeah. like, take the time. Like, right. between working full time and then coming and doing here, I would have had about. 90 minutes. Yeah. And to also, I don't know, take a nap, do everything. Dinner, that you're, yeah, right. Like, it's just not worth my time. And actually, in my opinion, I think it turned out fine. Like, I was hoping that Tim Walls would get through. I was hoping that Jeff Johnson would get through. Like, Jeff Johnson versus Tim Walls is as good of a matchup as we can get because both people, both guys are relatively sane. Like, I agree with Jeff Johnson in the fact that he's a nice, like, Tim Walls on his face is a nice guy i mean you know i say that i trust him because he's a sergeant major in the army and like that qualification alone is like the guy's badass but i don't but then i think again wait he's a politician running for government he actually doesn't care about me you Mm -hmm. know but i don't trust jeff johnson to uh stand up for my rights because he's so boring he's so wimpy like he he's just going like i've said before Democrats spend their time appeasing socialists and Republicans spend their time appeasing Democrats. I fear that that's what is going to result in. And Johnson will fall victim to the, well, something has to be done. I have to put my name on something. And that will inevitably just result in bigger government. 
Uh, look, I, I don't know that I agree with that assessment, but I certainly understand it. And, uh, and I'm interested in what has happened, you know, like where, where people's heads are at, uh, in, in terms of, you know, these folks who I used to work alongside who were fans of Ron Paul, and that's why they got involved. That's why they joined organizations such as the Republican Liberty Caucus, a, a party affiliate in this state that stands for those principles and, and what their thought, what they would, like to see what it would take to get him back. That's basically what I'm getting after. What would it take to get you back? Does it have to be Ron Paul? Because I don't think that's going to happen. You know, what other kind of figure could emerge? Because Ron Paul took his shot and nothing happened behind him. Well, regardless, Rand Paul got people to tune into C-SPAN 2 over a filibuster. Sure. Jeff Johnson ain't pulling that kind of energy. And we need... Like, I've had the, I looked back on my tweets and in my blog, I had the GOP can't be boring take for a year now. Mm -hmm. And they need to start talking about legalizing marijuana, and they need to speak about it in the way that Democrats do. They need to speak about it in a way that we, that, hey, we can legalize marijuana, we can use it to tax, we can use it as a tax and fund our schools. We can have education equality. We can make inner city schools better again. We can use it to reduce racial profiling by police because the war on drugs the end of the war on drugs will give police less incentive to right. stop black people right 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 and um we need to st- start talking about how social security is robbing young people of their future and ro- and it's just a pyramid scheme and i think even democrats even young Democrats today are silently acknowledging that. They don't want to go and talk about it because it's not popular. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says Medicare for all. But I think this is the Democrats' last kind of all-in. They're going all-in on Medicare because this is all they have left. Yeah. And even young Democrats realize that. And we need to start talking about how we've been in Afghanistan. People starting next year, 9-11 next year, people who were born after September 11th, could go, could end up fighting the Taliban in Afghanistan. Yeah, that's who nuts. Were not, 9-11 did not occur in their lifetime, and they could be fighting the war on terrorism. We need to start talking about those issues, and we're not. We just coddle farmers, we pat veterans on the head, and then we say, oh, we're going to cut taxes, but then we never actually do anything that's actually, like, look, look at how Tim Pawlenty, 10 to 15 years ago, talked about, oh, farmers are great. Uh, veterans are great. I support everything. And now look at how we think of Tim Pawlenty today. Right. Not favorably. He didn't win the election. If he would have been great, we would have gladly taken him again, I'm sure. But he wasn't. And I fear Jeff Johnson will end in the same fate. There you go. 651-989-5855. That's uh, the the headspace of the the former Republican activist who followed Ron Paul and has now uh, decided that there's no major political party home for them. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, Twin Cities News Talk. Oh, man. Why do I even bother? Another closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Streaming Twin Cities News Talk.com and your iHeart app. Appreciate you joining us. We're here at 9 to 11 weeknights. You can 
participate. 651-989-5855. Lines are open and available. Brad Oma takes those calls, produces the show. Let's talk to Charlie in Richfield. Welcome to the program. Hey, Walter. I just wanted to go on the air and just thank Brad. I already thanked him off the air, but I just wanted to thank him on the air for that nice little, uh, like I said, told Brad, it's not even a rant, but what he said earlier is just, he, he said everything that people are so frustrated with politics about. Mm. And I just, I, it was refreshing and very nice to hear him say that because it's, it's the underlying frustration with both parties. And all you have are the extremists on the side, and it's just it's frustrating that us as the middle, you know, on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, are not being heard and not being uh, uh, I'm blanking on the word, not being recognized. Yeah. As to what what we really care about for the nation. Yeah. So no, I. I agree. Sorry. I agree. Brad's uh, points were were absolutely spot on in terms of not just what the message should be, but how it should be delivered and, and, and the terms on which it should be delivered. Exactly. And honestly, if Brad ever ran for office, he would have my vote just based off that little conversation that he put out there. So there you go. Because because he, that was awesome, and that's that's what we need. From Jeff Johnson right now, especially I agree. because because he just he can't go wishy washy on us, right. you know, in this in this kind of a situation, as you pointed out with Keith Ellison and 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 Waltz and everything, you know, we need somebody to stand up for us in the middle, and, yeah. and Jeff has that with his meanings, but he needs to yeah. hammer it home and not get wishy washy. I appreciate, yeah, I agree. I appreciate the call, Charlie, and that's exactly right. It is the same. I've talked about this multiple times before, and will continue to. And hopefully the message gets through to these guys. But, you know, I've I've sat in rooms where it's small groups and Jeff Johnson or small groups and Tom Emmer back in 2010. You know, I, I remember one time I showed up. I can't remember the context, like why I was there. But I showed up to the campaign office of Mike McFadden for some reason or another back when he was running for U.S. Senate. Hi, Mike McFadden. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you remember that commercial? No. It, it, he ended the commercial, and it sounded like his voice was really high-pitched, but it was oh. just the way the commercial was filmed. I don't know. Okay, I must have missed that one. But I remember I showed up to his, his office one time, and I I caught just anecdotally a little exchange of him just being him, him just being a normal dude, a normal human being in his office talking to some staffer. And it was this this moment of clarity where I was like, oh, that's that's the guy who should be re- People should meet this guy. If people met this guy, they could get excited about who he is and what he represents, and then maybe he could get some support. But the problem is the who these guys actually are doesn't get presented to the voters. What gets presented to the vo- voters is what their consultants tell them they should say and what they should do and how they should look and you know what they should focus on. And the should, 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 should is all based upon you know, this kind of whiteboard with thumbtacks in it of red yarn stuck between them of focus groups and polls and, you know, the political science. And you know, there's there's value to that stuff, but you can get you can get stuck in your head with that kind of political consultant, political science analysis of how a campaign should go and miss the actual human 
moment that's taking place. Well, when we were talking on Tuesday night with uh, Kip and Max, I think that's why Kip was wrong with his takes, is he was too caught up in the uh, analysis of it. Well, and look, there's there was at, it, it was interesting being in here with Kip and Max on Tuesday night because, you know, when the news came in that Jeff Johnson had prevailed, and Kip was a Tim guy, and, and Max was a Jeff guy, Kip took it hard. He took it hard. And I understand why he did because he, like, he was thinking like, like a chess game. He was thinking 12 moves down the line of what this means in terms of the implications to the statewide down ticket ballot. What, sure. Yeah. What it could potentially mean for redistricting, you know, the effect this is going to have on, on the capacity to pursue an agenda for cycles and generations to come. And, there's app, there's no question that there's value in that like 12 dimensional long term thinking. You need people in the room who bring that to the table. But you can't lose sight of the short game. You can't lose sight of where people are actually at and the values that are important to them. And I feel like the Palenti campaign did that. That they they tr- they tried to run like a a a kind of paint by numbers style campaign from 1994 in 2018 in a time when people are concerned about very different things. Well, and isn't the loss of focusing on values and focusing on, you know, the consultants way of viewing things instead of values, the reason why Minnesota Republicans are at risk of losing the state to redistricting today. Right. Well, and that's just it is then you, that's, you can't place the blame on one campaign or one person or one race or whatever the case may be there's there are always you know people love to say that there's elections have consequences and that's true but those consequences are also cumulative the the errors that you make and the, and that continue to get made and they're doubled down on over time add up to a trajectory that lands you in the ditch and that's kind of the way that that things have been going with uh, Republicans and conservatives in this state is that there's been this this sequence of missed opportunities, this this sequence of bad choices that have been made that have put us in a place where now we have to fight extra hard in order to make up the the ground that's been lost. And it's not, you know, I don't mean to be a, a negative Nancy on this. It's surmountable. It's it can be done. There can be victory in November over folks like Keith Ellison, over folks like Tim Walls. It can happen, but you're going to have to throw a Hail Mary pass. You're going to have to be bold. You're going to have to go for it, and you're going to have to execute. And that means being bold, both in terms of what you talk about, how you talk about it, and you know what you're willing to say and what you're willing to do that the other guy is not. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if, if that develops. I want to get into, and we're probably going to have to dive into it deeper on the other side of the break, but there's a piece that I've had in the stack all week long from the New York Times. It's, I, I want to believe that this is it's from their style section, so I think this is like an advice column. It's called The Sweet Spot. And it's it's formatted in kind of like the Dear Abby sort of way where you know an anonymous person writes in with their problem. And then advice is given to them. And the problem that this particular individual writing into the New York Times has is they are beset with white guilt. 
they feel just terrible about being white. And I wish I was exaggerating. I wish this was hyperbole that, that I was oversimplifying it. But in actuality, this person is racked with guilt, not over something they've done, not over something they've said, not over some sin that they've committed, but over the fact that they exist with white skin. We'll get into it when we return. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Twin Cities News Talk.com. I'm absolutely terrible at email. I, I rarely check it, and it's a problem. Like, it causes me problems. I, I had a text today from a guy that I know, friend of the show, who has contacted me on an unrelated issue. And he's like, he, he referenced something from an email that he apparently sent me at some point in the past. And I texted him back. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no, <laughs> I have no idea. He's like, yeah, we've been sending you emails for like a, like a week asking you about this event. I'm like, oh, well, well therein lies your problem. Email. Like, you might as well send me a, a raven or, you know, a homing pigeon or something. Or Morse code or something along those lines. I just email isn't a thing that I, I do routinely. That's why I don't give out. We do have an email here. We have both Brad and I do. Mine is Walter Hudson at iHeartMedia.com. By all means, send me stuff. Don't expect me to look at it. Maybe once a month I might check the inbox. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. 651-989-5855, the number to join us. So... I, I want to share this with you, this piece at the New York Times. And again, I think this is an advice column. And the person who wrote in wants to know how they can cure their white guilt. They are beset with a a profound, soul-crushing sense of anxiety over being white. And they want to know what they can possibly do about it. This is the actual letter. I'm going to read it verbatim. I'm riddled with shame, white shame. This isn't helpful to me or to anyone, especially people of color. I feel like there is no me outside of my white, upper-middle-class, cisgender identity. I feel like my literal existence hurts people, like I'm always taking up space that should belong to someone else. I consider myself an ally. I research proper etiquette read writers of color, vote in a way that will not harm people of color and other vulnerable people. I engage in conversations about privilege with other white people. I take courses that will further educate me. I donated to Black Lives Matter. There's so much virtue being signaled here. Yet, yet I fear that nothing is enough. Part of my fear comes from the fact that privilege is invisible to itself. What am I doing or saying insensitive things without realizing it? Another part is that I'm currently immersed in the whitest environment I've ever been in. My family has lived in the same apartment in East Harlem for four generations. Every school I attended, elementary through high school, was minority white. But I'm now attending an elite private college that is 75% white. <gasps> I know who I am, but I realize how people perceive me, and this perception feels unfair. I don't talk about my feelings because it's hard to justify doing so while people of color are dying due to systemic racism 
and making this conversation about me would be again centering whiteness. Yet bottling it up makes me feel in existential anger that I have a hard time channeling since I don't know my place. Instead of harnessing my privilege for greater good, I'm curled up in a ball of shame. How can I be more than my heritage? And they, they sign this letter, Whitey. Now, I, I want to believe, I deeply hope and pray and want to believe that this is satirical, that this is a joke, that the person who wrote this was trying to put forward a caricature of white guilt, but I fear that it's genuine. Well, it feels like something that somebody would write to get or intentionally so that they could respond in a way that would make them look correct. Well, and and here's the thing. Regardless of the authenticity of the letter, the response from the advice columnists at the New York Times is sincere. And this is what they this is how they responded. A guy by the name of Steve Almond. He said Shame and anger are powerful emotions, Whitey, and yet your central struggle is around identity. You write that you don't know your place. In fact, your letter describes your place as a kind of prison cell of privilege. What you really feel is trapped within an identity that marks you inescapably as an oppressor. This feeling is especially acute right now, I suspect, because you're suddenly immersed in a male you that reflects your privilege back to you. We do live in a culture steeped in white supremacy and class bigotry, as well as patriarchal values. But the solution to this injustice isn't to wallow in self-hatred. Instead, heed the words of the writer Bell Hooks. Privilege is not in and of itself bad. What matters is what we do with privilege, she writes. We have to share our resources and take direction about how to use our privilege in ways that empower those who lack it. You're not going to empower others by disempowering yourself. And you know there are other responses here by by different writers that follow a a similar tact of acknowledging this. And you know I posted this on Facebook earlier this week and my comment was every word of this the the letter that originates it and then the response from the writers of the New York Times every word of it signals and reveals profound mental illness. This is mental illness. It is. It is. Like, the, okay, so let's define our terms. What does it mean to be mentally ill, to be mentally sick? What it means is dysfunction, right? Like, you can't function the way you're supposed to in the context of reality in order to pursue and keep your values and live a healthy life. So when, if you're existing in a mental state, such as is described by this, this writer to the New York Times, wherein you're beset with a sense of white guilt and you can't function in your life and in society because you're racked with guilt over something you didn't do, you're racked with guilt over the fact that you exist, that is... I. It's a psychosis of some kind. Like, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't, you know, I don't have a copy of the DSM-4 here with me. I don't have time to look it up. But it is definitely some form of mental illness, whereby you are, you, you're actually kept from functioning the way a normal adult, human, mature human being is supposed to be able to function. 
And that in and of itself is bad enough. The fact that there's a person out there who suffers from this particular mental illness, that's bad enough in and of itself. What's worse, what's infinitely worse, is that a mainstream cultural institution like the New York Times, instead of calling this out as mental illness, instead of asking the person, you need to get help, you need to get psychological counseling in order to restore yourself to a balanced mental state so that you can pursue and keep values and live a happy life. Rather than doing that, they encourage the person to continue to accept and adopt and maintain all of the irrational premises which fuel their deranged state. That is abusive. It's not, it's more than just wrong, it's abusive. And indeed, this whole identity politics matrix that we find ourselves confronted with on a daily basis, you know, we see examples of it where, you know, everybody, all these different groups that are oppressed, you know, there was a, a piece about the, the Minneapolis budget put forward by Mayor Jacob Fry that was in our stack tonight, wherein he said he made some comment about the, I don't even think I can remember this correctly, the LGBTQIA, I think, is what we're up to now in terms of, and I don't know what those last, like, four letters are like i i have no idea and but you know this this is this is where we're at we're at a place where things just get more and more crazy and instead of addressing the crazy and somebody saying no stop we're got to be adults we got to grow up we can't be crazy anymore they just double down twin cities news talk.com